0: You are listening to episode 24 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today my guest and I will be the dueling banjos of dysphagia. She is an experienced acute care clinician, and I have experience in skilled nursing, so we will be discussing why our patients don't always get instrumentals before they leave the hospital, and what can we do about it. My guest today is Brenda Aaron. Uh, She attended Washington State University and has almost 30 years of experience working in a wide variety of settings with both pediatrics and adults. She was a member and panel chair of the Western Institutional Review Board, the WIRB, for 12 years. Currently, she works in the acute care setting at Providence St. Peter Hospital in Olympia, Washington, and also serves on the Hospital Ethics Board. She is the owner of Puget Sound Swallow Diagnostics, providing mobile fee services to the greater Puget Sound region of Washington state. Brenda has particular interests in dysphagia, ethics, and end of life care. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Happy January. I feel like this is a time in January when everyone starts to get super annoyed with this weather, but if you live in a tropical place, send me some sun or some wine. But here in... Where do I live? I live in Buffalo, New York. We're going on like two weeks of just nonstop snow. We had like a day of reprieve and it just will not stop snowing. So I feel like I'm in such a winter funk, but I'm getting excited to go speak in Georgia shortly. I'm going to be speaking at the Georgia Speech and Hearing Association. It's in February 8th, 9th, and 10th, I believe are the dates. Oh my gosh, I don't have them in front of me. Um, But I'll be presenting with Nicole Hines and then um, Vince, my buddy Vince, Edgar Vincent Clark, and Dr. Kate Krivel, who's just amazing as well, they're going to be presenting also. So if you guys are in that area, come by, it'll be fun. Um, let's see, what else is going on? Okay, so MedBridge, I know tons of you took advantage of that deal that they had going on last year, and it's continuing through January, but it is going to end January 31st. So. I know we kept extending it, extending it, but it is going to end January 31st. So if you do want to take advantage of that free upgrade to the premium package that includes tons of patient handouts and the home exercise builder, the mobile app, the unlimited CEUs by just top-notch phenomenal researchers in our field, take advantage of that. That's medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP. Uh, first of all, your pride. And I do get a small commission when you do use that page. But if you just go to that website, you'll see all the awesome resources that they have available for uh, SLPs that are treating dysphagia. That price is $95 for an entire calendar year. So if you join now, you'll be good through next January. But like I said, they're taking that deal down January 31st. So take advantage of that when you can. And I do want to continue to thank EndOHD for being our January sponsor. you guys rock. thanks so much for helping to keep this thing going. It's been really cool and fun so without your support, we could not go on. And if you would like to contribute to this podcast, uh, I ha- I believe I have the lowest setting at 25 cents an episode. so <laughs> if you if you want to donate and help out with this with this podcast, you can go to patreon dot com. Forward slash Swallow Your Pride. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I forgot that a few people have still been asking me where to access the show notes. Uh, If you go to www.swallowyourpridepodcast.com, you'll see all of the episodes there. Just click on the episode and then click download the show notes. But if you'd like to go to this particular episode, every single episode has a bitly link. So go to bit.ly forward slash S Y P podcast zero two four. So that's for this episode with Brenda. You'll be able to download the notes right from there. Or if you're feeling fancy, you can text S Y P 24 So text that to the number four, four, two, 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 and you can get the show notes emailed to you as well. I know my the website was down for like a few hours last week. So I got a million emails. I'm so sorry about that. Everything's working now. I don't understand internet land, so I leave that to the important people, but we're up and running now. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And I think that's it for announcements. So without further ado, my dear friend, Brenda.
1: Hello, Brenda. Well, hey, Teresa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm dandy. Good. I'm so
0: excited. We're finally doing this.
1: I know you've been begging me for a while, so I have. Shh. I think it just took us time to figure out what would be a good fit for a topic. Yes,
0: yes. And this topic actually is pretty much what inspired me to start the podcast, because I feel like so many times we love to use Facebook to go there and get good ideas and resources and what should we do. But then we don't all understand everyone's backstories. We don't all understand where any of us work or what our right. settings are in or what our limitations are in. So sometimes it just ends up in a huge pissing match. Right. So I wanted to, this is kind of the dueling banjos of SLP here today. So right. I'm going to be playing the, the skilled nursing SLP, which I was for a million years and kind of still consider myself. And Brenda uh-huh. has a million years of experience in acute care. So... We're going to kind of figure, a million, uh, you're an oldie but a goodie, remember? Sweet. Yes. Yes. So so we'll be able to hear both sides on some interesting topics, so maybe kind of help you from getting all angry when you wonder why your patient didn't get this or get that, but kind of the rundown of what we're going to talk about today. So, Okay.
1: So do you want me to tell you about myself? I would love to hear about <laughs> okay. you. Well, let's see if I can remember. So I uh, graduated uh, a while ago now. Oh God! Okay, we're starting a graduation. <laughs> well, and then in the second grade. <laughs> okay. No, so I went to Washington State University for my bachelor's and my master's degree, and actually focused a lot on um, birth to three language development. And getting out of school, my first jobs were all pediatric based, and you know the program I was in taught us or prepared us for PEDS and adults, as much adults as there was really going on on the West Coast of the United States in the 1980s. And there just wasn't really a lot happening other than some basic aphasia therapy. And no dysphagia coursework. I'm one of those, those people who've picked up and slammed together information on our own. And I'm always jealous of people that have an actual course. Yeah. So don't curse your dysphagia course, guys. It's a blessing. So yeah, I've worked kind of like every setting birth to three and schools and home health and children's hospital and acute rehab and on call for sniffs and outpatient and landed really in acute care, focusing mostly about 12-15 years ago. And that's where I've been. What you may not know about me, Teresa, is that I was a music minor and really I've been wanting to talk to you about you have no music. You don't have enough music on your show. Oh my gosh. So I've prepared something for you. (laughs) Are you ready?
0: I'm so ready.
1: Okay, here it is.
0: (laughs) I can hear it.
1: (laughs) I can hear it. So I thought it would kind of fit our theme today. It does. It does. Yeah. So maybe when you're um, like rolling credits at the end, we're gonna play this again. Yes. We can play the dueling banjos at the end. Yeah. Okay. So that's
0: that. All right. Um, but that's enough. All right. <laughs> so let's let's get into our, our dueling banjos conversation here. So right. I think we've all seen the same question posed a million, million times. So, yeah. I got this patient today in my skilled nursing facility, and they came to me on honey thick liquids and a pureed diet, and they did not have an instrumental. And I cannot believe this acute care SLP did not do an MBS or a fees.
1: Can you believe that, Brenda? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. <laughs> There's so much guilt. <laughs> you I should need, be ashamed of yourself. I, I need a confession. <laughs> free my soul. Yes. Um, You know, it happens. So let me tell you like what my day looks like in acute. Yeah, absolutely. Nice blog piece for Megan Sutton. and, And that was fun to do. But truth be told, it wasn't a totally typical day. Well, some days roll out the way I wrote in that. And I was just trying to highlight in that article, just kind of the variety and just get a glimpse of what acute care is. But so when I get into work, I've got, um, a caseload of 30 to 40 patients to get assigned across three or four SLPs. So it kind of shakes out that we would have eight to 10 patients each. We also do one to three outpatient modifieds in a day. So if there's three SLPs and say we've got 35 acute patients and we've got two outpatient modifieds coming, you know, um, we're stretched thin. There's always more work to do than we can get done. So there's a lot of triaging that goes on and just trying to figure out who, who are the highest priorities to see that day. So, That being said, it's not like we have this time to sit around and like, I think I'll just take my patient to radiology or how about a fees today? Yeah, because sure enough, that's the day that they have dialysis in the morning and then they're exhausted the rest of the day and best laid plans. Um, So things happen. But back to my day. So we have patients... Uh, My my hospital is about 380 beds, I think. We have a neuro floor, and so we'll have 8 to 12 patients on that neuro floor. We have an ICU. We'll have, you know, between 5 and 10 patients in the ICU. And then the rest of the patients are on medical floors. They've had cardiac surgeries. They broke a hip. They're sick as anything. You wouldn't believe how sick the patients in acute care are. What? They just go to the hospital because they're sick? yeah but you know compared to 15 years ago they're just sicker they're just they're they're older they're sicker they're more um, vulnerable they're more feeble their health is just i mean crazy sick so a lot of times these patients we can't get them down to radiology for a modified they um they can't endure the trip and so it's unfortunate to have to judge a lot at bedside how people are doing and just going on those overt signs and symptoms of aspiration and really talking with the doctor, talking with the family and the patient about here's what we're going to try, but we're going to, we're going to watch carefully and see what happens. And fortunately now we have fees at my hospital. So that's a bit of a game changer for us, Um, but it's still new and um, patients aren't always willing or appropriate for that test either. So yeah, it happens. Sometimes the things that happen, I I mentioned dialysis, sometimes they're NPO for procedure. Now, remember, a lot of times they're in the hospital for three or four days. So they come on day one, day two, I get a referral. If I can get to them that day, I will. Day three of their admit, I might be saying, you know, I think we're going to need a modified, what day did I leave off on? Three? Now we're on day day four, and dang, they're discharged. And they're gone they're gone. It's quick. Those patients who stick around for a good week have a much higher chances of of us getting them to radiology or getting a fees in just because they've probably got more days when they're stable enough to go do those studies. So Um, talk
0: to me about kind of the, um, the juggling act with radiology. So you, oh. like you said, you know, we think you're just sitting around eating bonbons and then, oh, let's go to radiology and get this done. But you're saying that it's not like that.
1: Yeah, so. no. So my hospital has one, one fluoro suite. And so there are a gazillion procedures and diagnostics that happen in, in the fluoro suite. And so we have to fit into everything else. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, about <laughs> small bowel follow-through tests and how long those take hours. Now, the patient may go get all loaded up with barium in unmentionable places, and then they spit them off to a waiting room, and when it's time, they got to bring that patient back out and fluoro whatever they fluoro on small bowel follow-throughs. I think I know, but I'm not going to say it on that's pocket, okay. Those people okay. might be eating. You know, so they've got, they've got these tests that are time intensive. They've only got so much time. Radiologists are available. They're bopping back and forth between different s- studies. Radiologists are also on call for the emergent studies, the MRIs, the CTs, um, things like that. That if we can get a couple modifieds in, in a day, that's pretty great. So it's it's a it's a booked up busy room, and we have to be able to fit in. Yeah. So sometimes we're told, no, we really can't do it today. Why don't we try tomorrow? And that's the day the patient discharged, or you know. So it is a juggling act. That's a good way to describe it.
0: So it's not just because you didn't want to stop eating your bonbons that day.
1: No, I might take my bonbons with me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. All right.
0: So we talked about just the length of stay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if they're only there a couple of days, then they may be discharged. And before you know it, they're gone. Right. Dealing with radiology, like you said, there's scheduling issues there. I guess Mm -hmm. what else would, would prevent you from, or you said just the the state that they're in. Right. I I guess we, we, (laughs) they're in the hospital because they're sick. What a concept, you know, sometimes (sighs) there's no way you, that they are okay for PO intake.
1: Right. And they're just not. And so, Sometimes it happens that patients are placed with a G tube before they even ever get on our caseload. And, you know, that sounds like a crime. But when you really look at what happens with these patients, we have, um, unfortunately, a lot of. People come in on um, drug overdoses, and they're basically comatose, and they're young. They're in their 20s and 30s, and families aren't giving up on these people. They they are saying, "Do everything, you know, save my family member." So they're um, they're ventilated. They often end up traked. They're not alert. They're in sort of a semi coma kind of condition. They're not appropriate really for a, a swallow referral to speech yet but they are appropriate to have a G-tube placed, you know? Yeah. So sometimes you do see these people that, are you kidding me that my patient has a G-tube and they never even saw speech? Well, usually what happens is we see them at some point, um, maybe after they get out of the ICU and they're up on medical floors, they get a referral then, then to speech. So I, I share that feeling. I'm always like, well, are you kidding me? They, they put a G-tube in, but then when I see the patient, I understand that they're, a lot of times these patients it's it's a long time, maybe, and if ever that they're going to eat again because their cognitive state is so difficult, yeah, yeah, so it's <laughs> such, such a barrier, yeah, yeah, so yeah, the condition of the patient or they they fatigue so fast they're they're awake for three, four minutes, and then they're out for the next hour. well, that patient's probably not appropriate to eat, but maybe we could get them an ice chip here and there. Um, during that time, and they could be appropriate for a G tube again with fees. That would be a great patient to have fees in the room, and if you can catch them when they're awake. Yeah,
0: yeah. I w- I want to talk about that. So you decided one day that you wanted fees, and you just marched into your administrator, and they <laughs> just wrote you a PO to get fees. Is that right, Brenda?
1: <laughs> you're a, <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> you're making up stories. No. So my team and I tossed around getting fees for a while and kind of all said, you know, well, how would we even do this? And and then one day I hear that the um, foundation grants are due in 10 days. So it's like, oh, crap, I got to get my act together and, and write up a proposal. And, you know, you're supposed to go try the different equipment and meet the vendors and dang, we didn't have time. We needed a bid. And I just went off of advice of people I trust and got a bid put together and got a grant request in to our foundation because that's the only way we were going to get it funded. You know, rehab departments don't have capital like that. And that was the fastest part of the process because um, a month later we were awarded the grant. And I thought it was being ordered, and we were scheduling our class. I'm wondering, where's our equipment? So I start making some phone calls, and they say, oh, there's been a spending freeze. Your equipment hasn't been ordered. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So long story short, it took – I totaled up the number of days one time from grant request to fee scope in my hand um, with competency, and it was about two years – so, um, no, it is, it's been the most long drawn out process and so many hoops and jumps, and figuring out sterile processing and where we're going to store this thing, and writing a report template and policy and procedures, and getting that all signed off by various committees, and just more administrative stuff than I've ever had to deal with. So, it's not a task for the timid, that's for sure. Yeah, but worth it. Worth it. I had a lot of support from a lot of people, and it it made a huge difference. Because
0: I think that's what we hear so often. You know, I don't have access to this. I don't have access to that. And it's it's I don't know anybody in this field that's just snapped their fingers and had the equipment at their beck and call. You know, we've all had to go through. We've all had to advocate. We've all had to talk to many, many, many people. And um, so I just wanted people to hear from you that. It didn't just happen overnight. It took you two whole years to get the process done. I- well, and let me add that if you are looking for support, if you are looking to purchase a fees unit for your facility, please reach out to our sponsors. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact. That's N-O-H-D. It's a compact fee system with a maneuverable design that provides convenience to do fees in more locations in the hospital, ICU, CCU, PICU, exam room, patient room. Uh, and they combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make the best imaging devices in the country. So any of those issues Brenda was talking about, they can help you resolve those.
1: Yeah, there, there's a hospital in my system in Alaska that, from what I understand, theirs came together pretty fast. And then then there was a glitch with their star processing. And then they were on hold for months, if not a year. So... Even that one was rolling out just fine, but then, er, you know, the brakes, yep. the brakes got set, and there you sit. You just, yep. you, you can't proceed if you don't have all your eyes dotted and T's crossed, and everything is by the book and laid out straight. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I think Yvette talked about that too when she was on here too. I believe she said it took her two years to get it in her medical center as well. So, yes, yeah. it, it's you're in for the long haul, but like you said, totally worth it. Yep. Yep. So, so now that you do have fees, do you guys think that you are getting a lot more studies done? Do you think you'll get a lot less complaints from your SNF SLPs that
1: they're actually getting (laughs) instrumentals done? I hope so. We'll see. It's, it's still hit and miss. What's great is now that there are the patients who, um, because of their size wouldn't fit in our floral space, they can get a study. So that's, that's one factor out. So I hope so. What we're really finding is we are um, seeing that patients don't need as much restriction as we thought, that we go in and lo and behold, they're, they're swallowing better than we thought at bedside. Yeah. The, the throat, the throat clear is protective. They're doing what they're, they're doing. Their, it's the, the anatomy is doing its job. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a problem. So, yeah. Are you guys, are you able to take your ICU patients down to fluoro? Sometimes if they're the more stable ones and there's staffing. So our nurses have a two to one ratio in in um, ICU. So depending on how stable they are. Okay. Yeah. A post-extubated patient who's stable. Generally. Yeah. But now we're using fees in the ICU. Yeah. Cool. That's the best one. Okay.
0: Okay. So I've got this patient in my skilled nursing facility and I'm digging through the digging through the notes, digging through the notes. And it says that they had an instrumental at the hospital. It says they had an MBS at the hospital, but I'm not seeing a report. What do you think Ah. I should do?
1: Well, I think it would be a fine idea to call the speech pathologist at the hospital, you know, go right to the source. And I've seen people have concerns about HIPAA, but HIPAA has provision for continuity of care, and I will put this in the notes oh, um, fantastic. that people can upload from um, HHS, um, Health and Human Services website, where all the HIPAA information comes from. But it does say consulting with another health care provider about a patient is within the HIPAA privacy rules definition and therefore is permissible. Awesome. So, Thank you for sharing that. As, yeah. yeah. As long as it's a um, conversation from provider to provider about a patient for the patient's treatment, you can talk. <clears throat> yes. I know so, at, my, at
0: my sniff that was a huge barrier. I could never get the reports sent over and I would call medical records and they would say, because of HIPAA, I can't send them to you. And it mm-hmm. was a huge, it was a huge issue that I had.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, and I think some policies want to interpret it more strictly than necessary. But if this gives people some backup to say, no, it is here, it's on their website. But yeah. so you could talk to the speech pathologist. You can call medical records, don't call radiology. They'll give yes. you a radiologist's report, and mine are brief, and we hope they're accurate. <laughs> Yes. Um, So you're saying there's two separate reports? Yeah. There's a radiologist report that says um, uh, sometimes they say there was aspiration or not. And that's about it. And yeah. um, But, you know, our our reports go into the whole. The whole everything.
0: Yeah. I, I was reading a post a few weeks ago and someone posted like this was the report. How do I interpret it? And it ended up being the radiology report and she had no idea that that was a thing. So yes, there's two separate reports. The radiologist has to jot his or her little note and the SLP creates, hopefully a much more (laughs) more elaborate report. Yeah.
1: And you know, sometimes those radiology reports aren't accurate because they're just going and writing their report right after the study. I'm going to go back to my office and watch the study over again. And I might see some things that we didn't see live in the study And if we find a discrepancy, you know, say during the study, we said, oh, there was no aspiration, but lo and behold, when I'm looking back, it's like, there's a trickle of black in that trachea now that we didn't see at the beginning. So some, at some point, maybe we still missed the aspiration, but it's there. We'll call the radiologist and ask to have, if they would correct their report. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. So don't freak out if you see discrepancy too. Go with with the speech, the speech note. That's going to oh, be good. accurate.
0: Well, thank you. That's, that's another great point.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you're going to think about calling the speech path, call medical records. I don't know what else you'd do from there.
0: So I got this report and it didn't really seem like the SLP really did anything. They gave like two trials and that was it, but no penetration or aspiration or anything. What do you think I should do?
1: Well, is it? the patient came from the hospital or was it your patient you sent from the sniff?
0: They came from the hospital with a
1: report (laughs) and they just
0: gave them two bites and that was it. What, what could have happened that they didn't
1: feel the need to keep doing more? Well, you know, I can think of one time that that's happened. (laughs) I usually give them more, you know, and that's the thing is the timing of when you take your patient for a modified, you want to take them at a time when they can do more. You want to see them being able to take several ice chips, even small boluses of clean water um, at bedside before you scoot them off to radiology because you don't want to find the person in the swallow chair. Everybody's there, and now they can't they can't really do much because you didn't check it out at bedside first. And I get it. It's risky at bedside, but it makes for a better study if you know they're able to get something done in the fluoro chair. So the lady that I had that that was the case, she had like a, a – Wallenberg syndrome kind of stroke and honestly an absent swallow. And so I gave her two half teaspoons of thin barium and we stopped. There was nothing happening. I didn't want to put anything thick in her pharynx because it would sit there and she had weak cough. And so we stopped, but we saw what we needed to see. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you document that in your notes? The reason that you I stopped? So. <laughs> I
1: hope you did too. <laughs> I think so. I think I would. Um, yeah. 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 Um, no, it it concerns me like when you see reports that do say, you know, two teaspoons of honey thick liquid and stopped and no aspiration, no penetration without without an explanation.
0: Right. And
1: again, you know, call that therapist and see there may be something more that they forgot to write. They were in a hurry. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes it
0: is just a simple we forgot to write the rationale or the explanation. So I can't really like harp on it or express enough the importance of having a good rapport with your hospital SLP, with your SNF SLP. Um, Kind of once I did that, when I was working in the SNF, once I formed good relationships with the hospital SLPs, the reports were much better. They would call me, give me a heads up. I would send documentation with them and it just made for, Much better all around patient care. So I don't know if you can speak to that too, and we'll kind of switch gears. So if you're doing an outpatient study, so say you're getting one of my patients from the Mm SNF, is it helpful if they come with a history or what what I'm working on or what their goals are?
1: all of that. I want yeah. to know. Yeah. I want to know just a little history medically about what's going on and, you know, don't write a book cause we're standing in the radiology suite, uh, waiting to get going. So, so let me ask you, why can't you just look it up in the chart yourself? <laughs> because your notes at the sniff are not in my hospital oh, system. Crap. I didn't even think of that. No, they're not at all. Especially if you're paper-based. <laughs> There's no No magic that happens. Yeah. So if I could know what diet the patient is currently on, um, what their medical diagnosis is, why you're referring, what, you know, what's your question you want answered, happy to answer it. If we can happy to try the things you, you want to see, happy to do maneuvers that you've been working on um, in therapy. Now what's really hard is to ask, a patient to do a maneuver they've never tried before and they can't do it. And they, they get all confused because they just haven't had a chance to practice say that breath hold or the bolus hold or whatever it is. And that's not going to be a fair assessment. So that stuff is great. And then I like it when they send a little sheet for me to write a few points on just off the top of my head results. That's helpful just to get something back to the SLP. And then our system sends the report back to the referring provider. And that won't be the SLP because it has to be a physician or ARNP ordering. So if you're wondering, you know, where's that report I sent? I sent Mrs. Smith over. Check with whoever uh, wrote the report. It could be in their inbox. Sometimes these things go by email. Sometimes they go by fax. So if
0: I gave you my fax number, could you just send it directly to me? I probably
1: could, but it would go to your facility.
0: Yeah, yeah, I if I gave you the the fax. fax number at the facility, could you send it directly? So if I'm if I'm the SLP in the rehab department, can you send it to the fax line in the rehab department?
1: Yeah, I probably could. Yeah. Yeah. There's an internal fax that happens in our system that just I click the button and it it sends a fax from the computer. Gotcha. But I could probably print it up and then fax it from a real fax machine. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So I remember that was always my huge issue is that it just, it would always get faxed to like the central like administrator's building, which like no one was ever at that fax machine. Oh. Yeah. So unless like a secretary or someone went and checked it and it was like five buildings away from where rehab Uh was.
1: So. Yeah. 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 See, and that's the stuff I don't know on the right, other side. Right. Because, why she fax it? Yeah. It's the <laughs> dueling banjos. They both it play. Right. <laughs> they both have issues. Right,
0: right. So that's why I just think it's so, we, you have to have these conversations. You have to have this kind of communication to figure out what's going on so that the patient can get the best care possible.
1: Yeah. So here's another thing about patients transferring from acute care to the SNF is we send them on a diet and sometimes I'll be more conservative, just, well, they're stinking sick, like I already said, Yeah. (laughs) but I might find that they're, you know, physiologically ready for an upgrade as long as somebody is there to monitor sip size, bite size, whatever. And in my setting, if there's like a one-on-one CNA that's helping or a family member or something and, and, that supervision and assistance is all set up and happening. It makes me nervous to have them really on an upgraded diet going to the sniff where I don't know what the feeding situation is. I don't know if there's that kind of help and assistance that that patient's going to need. So like somebody might look great on thin liquids by small sips, but I know they're discharging this afternoon. I'm going to leave them on Nectars and say, in in my note that they, they looked good for the thins, either by bedside assessment or by, um, by instrumental, hopefully an instrumental, but leave the upgrade to the discretion of the SNF SLP, depending on what level of assistance is available. Yeah. And so I think that's a hard thing to probably see from the SNF side too. Like, why is my patient on this thicker liquid when they can take thins, but I just don't yeah. know what, I don't know what the landscape looks like on the other side. No, that, and that's totally right. Cause I
0: mean, now, now that I do fees, now that I do mobile fees and skilled nursing, that's definitely a huge thing. You know, we'll realize, you know, while we're doing it, yes. If, if she takes this small controlled sip, then it's great. But if, you know, she starts chugging it, like it's a Bud Light, then, you know, <laughs> no, she's asked for it. <laughs> No. So I tr- I tried it. To say that to the SLP too, and just say, you know, if she's going to have some level of supervision or some assistance, then yes, this can be the recommended diet. But if it's a free for all in the, in the dining room and they don't have the staff, cause I, reality is some facilities don't, I, I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know that it's legal or not, but they claim that they don't have CNAs or they don't mm-hmm. have staff that can sit with residents. But so, yeah. So in that case, We may have to make some different recommendations than we would if if they got the appropriate supervision and guidance. Well, and I just want to add, I think everyone knows that I am the owner of Mobile Dysphagia Diagnostics. Uh, My company does mobile fees in New York and Pennsylvania but a uh, word on the street is, Brenda, that you're doing the same thing on the other side of the country now. Is that right?
1: Yes, it's uh, Puget Sound Swallow Diagnostics, and pretty fun to be getting in the sniffs, really, and um, seeing a little bit of the other side, but great to be able to help the SLPs out in the sniffs and those patients with getting those instrumentals done and not having to ship them off to the modified where there's all those problems we're going to Talk about him right, pretty right. soon. I think that will be such a cool
0: perspective for you to have. You know, hospital acute care SLP doing MBSs, and then being out in the skilled nursing facility doing fees. So I think that you'll just be able to provide so much good mentorship and guidance to other SLPs
1: out there. Yeah, it's and it's fun to mentor the the younger SLPs, the, the sponges. This, this this yeah, this oldie goldie likes to um, help the. The, the yeah, new fresh ones Brenda Bordeaux. Want to yeah. know more? Yeah, Brenda Bordeaux. That's me coming to your She's only but a goodie. Western Washington, South Sound all region. Right. All right,
0: sounds good. So yes, we'll have all Brenda's information in all the show notes, so you can you can look her up if you'd like. I just want to add one more thing. I know everyone's always posting about looking for mobile. Uh, swallow study companies in their area. I do have a section of my website. If you go to mobile dysphagia diagnostics, I believe it's called swallow study locator at the top. Uh, but any different mobile, either MBS or fees, anyone can advertise on that map, uh, get out in front of everybody. So they know your company's there. So hopefully they can find you and you can be of service to their patients. So, okay. I think we totally got off on (laughs) a tangent. I don't even know where we were, Brenda.
1: Yeah. And I think kind of on the same note, there's, there are patients who we send them off expecting that the sniff SLP will upgrade the diet. Like this is not a forever and ever amen diet. Yes. Um, you know, once, once her teeth are available, take her off the mechanical or the puree and get her on the regular because yeah. uh, her teeth were never at the hospital. Things yeah. teeth often don't come with their owners um, to the hospital. <laughs> Um, so people are sometimes more restricted diet because their teeth aren't there or their endurance is poor. So we keep them on a softer texture because for energy conservation, but once they get some energy up, dang, move them up, move them up. I don't ever want to see that this is cast in concrete and on on these uh, Facebook groups, sometimes too, I'll see people say, well, you know, my patient came on this diet and I'd like to move them up, but it's you know, then, then move them up. You've got everybody's permission. If you know, if your clinical judgment says they can do something different, don't let the recommendation from three weeks ago in a hospital hold you down. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, it actually It comes obsolete information.
0: Yeah. I got a text from one of the girls I do fees for today. And there was a, a patient that I saw, I think maybe she said, it was like a month or two ago. Um, and I, and I did do that. I gave, recommendations for, you know, if she is alert and oriented, then we can go this way. If she's not, if she's in this kind of delirious state then no, let's go with this. And she said that she was pretty much out of it more often than not. So they kept her on the thickened liquids and the modified diet. And she texted me today and said, she's all of a sudden awake, alert, oriented, you know, is it okay to upgrade her to, to the thin? And, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with doing trials of that because now that they are presenting in a whole new awake, alert oriented state and we have it documented, then, you know, I was just so happy that the SNF actually recommended her, you know, to be reevaluated by speech instead of just. Leaving her on her death sentence of thickened liquids for life. Yeah,
1: and it's amazing how much better people swallow when they're alert. Yes. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! <laughs> like, I guess maybe it disappears.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe that's why. Like delirium is like the number one predictor of aspiration or something like that. I, it's it's kind of common sense when you think of it. Like,
1: that. <laughs> I know, I know the speech I give to the um, CNAs. We do some CNA training, and I, I used to we used to have this whole long presentation and I've gotten it down to now don't feed the sleeping people and have them setting up. It's short and sweet, but there you go. Yeah, it
0: works. Yeah. If they're in bed sleeping, I guess don't put a pancake in their mouth.
1: Yeah. And please don't pour the coffee in either. Yeah. Or the Bud Light. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they drink it faster. That way it goes down faster. <laughs> well, it's carbonated. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> So let's go back. I think I cut you off before. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about getting notes from the hospital because you say there's kind of a third party involved in that as well. Yeah.
1: So case managers, they're, they're uh, your friend also because they put the package, the discharge package together, and it's got all the notes and test results and all this stuff. And if you're sure that your patient was seen by speech, but you're not getting speech notes in the packet of everything. It might be the case manager forgot. And you know what happens is we have this sniff discharge transfer sheet that our hospitalists fill out and it has things like order therapies and it says PT and there's a box and OT and <laughs> a box and speech and there's a box. And I tell you what, 50% of the time they don't click speech. So off my patients go PT, OT and no speech order. And so I'll ask them if I catch it, you know, could you go back in and, and click that speech box? Cause this patient's going to need it. And it's just, it's an oversight, but I think sometimes that also cues the case management that which notes to get. So they, they leave speech out. So, you know, we definitely work on it on that on our side, but, um, I guess if you saw a pattern from a certain hospital or I don't know how you wouldn't know which floor people are coming from, but, um,
0: But I think, I mean, I think these are all great things to know because I know before I just never got any notes and I'm like, what the heck, you know?
1: So I think this at least gives people an idea of where to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And case management couldn't get you notes from somebody who has discharged, but it could be a proactive thing. Like, right, right. When when your patients are discharging, we'd love it if you could include those speech notes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just, it's just swallowing. It's no big deal really, but yeah. Well, they passed. They're already (laughs) swallowing. Yeah. (laughs) so let's talk about so I get one of your reports Brenda and I'm really not I don't know I'm not digging it I don't think you did like the best study I don't think you did like a really good thorough report
1: (laughs) why would you say that I don't
0: because you didn't really (laughs) tell me much all you said was that was that they aspirated and you recommended honey thick so I, I don't know do you think that we can have these conversations like do you think that We can talk to each other and say, you know, maybe is there any way you could tell me the physiological impairments? Is there laryngeal excursion? Is there tongue-based retraction? I'm kind of, I'm just asking you for your opinion. Do you think we can ask each other those questions? I would hope
1: so. Yeah. You know, it's personalities and egos and it's like probably any other job setting for any career that... You got to be open and keep learning and growing. And I think as soon as we think we know everything, that's a dangerous place to be. So if if you're getting some constructive feedback from your, you know, basically your customers and you're an acute care therapist, you got to listen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did. I had one SLP that used to do my studies and I, I, I said it in like the most tactful way I possibly could. And she just said to me, she's like, you know, the report template that we have doesn't have a place for physiological impairments. It's not on the checkbox of the report that I write. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, so could you maybe like include those? Like there's like a notes freehand section at the bottom. Mm
1: -hmm. And she was like,
0: yeah, I could probably include more of those things if that would be of, of use to you. And I was like, oh, my God. But like, just to think that it was the simple, like it wasn't in their report template in the hospital. So she didn't think that that was useful information. So.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, how we do modifieds has changed a lot in the last 10 years. I think, you know, Dr. Um, Martin Harris has done a great service to our field about really getting us to think about physiology, whether you use MBSIMP or not. I think she's just brought out that focus in such a great way that our our studies used to be a report about barium and uh, uh, we'd touch on maybe why there was residue or when the aspiration happened, but not like we do now, not like yeah. we do now. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause really all of the reports showed me were just like diets. I mean, that was really all that it just came. So there was no yeah. exercise recommendations, you know, no nothing. So it's it's, I think we have to push each other to get better.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's hard to set your your ego aside and feel like you're getting criticized. It no sucks. one likes that. It totally sucks. Yeah, no one likes that. But it's how we get better. Yeah, how we get better. Yeah. We get yeah. better. yeah, and I hope as you know, sniff SLPs are taking this conversation that way too. Um, yeah, you know that nobody's perfect. Everyone can get, can get better at something, and you just keep chipping away at it.
0: Yeah, I think we have to learn from each other. So, I mean, I, and I try to, as a, as a mobile fees provider too, I try to tell the SNF SLP, you know, these are maybe some exercises that they're working or that they, that could benefit them based on the physiological impairment. So I don't think we should shy away from sharing that stuff. You know, it's always like for every, I don't know the saying, I'm just going to make something up, but it's like (laughs) for every, like one person that gets their ego bruised or something, there's like five or six more people that are silent sponges, essentially. So the more information that we can give, I think is only going to be beneficial to everyone. So I just kind of want to encourage everyone that is writing these reports and is doing these studies that even if your report only lets you write a little bit, write more, you know, find a way to write more, find, include all the information that you can provide some exercise recommendations, you know, whatever you think you can see can only help benefit the other SLP as well.
1: Mhm mhm. Yeah, and you know um we often don't put exercise recommendations in. So that's that's good for me to hear and kind of think about because I I want to leave it up to the treating therapist. Like here's the deficits, you figure it out. <laughs>
0: right? And and that's what I did for so long and then it's like I don't know in the last maybe 2 years all the SLPs that I are probably 80%, 90% of the SLPs that I work with now are very young, like either CFs or only been in the field a year or two. So I just was kind of casually talking about, you know, you could try this exercise and what is that? So yep. it was kind of the more I realized that they they don't know what to do, you yeah. know. Maybe that mentorship
1: and, that you get to provide yeah. when you're when you're face to face doing mobile fees, right? That's different than what I get. Um, right? Yeah, you're right. That a good place for that ongoing learning to keep happening. Yeah, cuz I think if I got a report back when I was first starting
0: that, you know, recommended EMST or something I might be like, what the hell is that? But I would probably go look it up. Right. Mm. You know, so. Or ask on Facebook. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could just Google it. That's what you could do. Just Google it. That's a good idea. Okay.
1: Do that first.
0: Yeah. Do that first. And then you can post it in my group. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's good. I think that gives me a really good idea of, of, I guess that the acute care SLPs don't sit around and eat bonbons all day like I thought they did.
1: Yeah, you know, it's an image we like to try to
0: project, but yeah, it's just yeah. not true. Is there anything that you want to ask of a sniff SLP or anything you wonder about skilled nursing SLPs?
1: Hmm. What makes you think the patient who hasn't had anything by mouth for eight weeks wants to have their first PO trial be barium? In a dark room with a big machine next to their head.
0: (laughs) I don't know. What do you think I should do? I think you should have them
1: do trials at the sniffers. Like, like some ice chips? Like you want me to like
0: brush their teeth and give them ice or something like that?
1: I think you've hit right on the answer. Yes. All right. Yeah. Make sure that you follow something. Yeah.
0: All right. So you have to answer my final question.
1: Okay. Are you prepared? I don't know. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So,
0: what is one research paper, article, researcher that's had a big impact or been a game changer in your practice?
1: Okay. So, I think, you know, who really was the game changer for me was Dr. Jim Coyle. And um, his talks about respiratory status and dysphagia. And um, there's a course he does, and I've also heard him talk. Um, it's when Asha used to do the health and business yep. conference thing. And just really getting a handle on respiratory status and how that exacerbates aspiration risk and really gave me a whole other piece of things to look at, really opened my eyes to looking beyond, did the patient swallow, not swallow, cough, not cough, but even you know, doing a lot of assessment before I put any hands on that patient about their status and um, their overall condition. And um, yeah, that was a game changer. I don't think you get that. I didn't have a dysphagia course, but I don't think you get that stuff in classes. I think when I have students, that's where we end up putting a lot of our energy is a good chart review and really just look at that patient, watch them breathe and how are they doing? What are are some things specifically you look for? I look for respiratory rate, I look for uh, how much oxygen are they on and um, are they breathing through their mouth, through their nose? Are they, do they feel short of breath? How long have they been off the ventilator? Anything I can get about respiratory status and oxygen levels. Okay.
0: So does any of that like automatically
1: disqualify them? Yeah, if they're short of breath and breathing fast. You know, in Dr. Coyle's class, he talks about 30 being sort of a cutoff. And so, you know, I I think about that. If somebody's breathing every two seconds and a swallow takes one to two seconds, you miss a breath when you swallow. And that brainstem will tell you to breathe before it tells you to swallow. Breathing wins every time. And so that short of breath patient might inhale kind of mid swallow. And then you've got an aspiration, not because they can't swallow, but because their respiratory status is so compromised. Um, they can't, they can't work out the timing of the swallow with the breathing. And so sometimes we'll hold if they don't look like they're in good respiratory condition. And then the nurses will tell me, well, I know they'll pass. It's like, yeah. yeah, they might pass, but I'm not going to set a tray of food in front of them yet. You just keep giving them a nice chip here and there and I'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there there are some things that will disqualify them. Okay,
0: and then tomorrow they get shipped off to the sniff without right. a study. So
1: without a study, uh, not yet though, because <laughs> they, they won't send them without a diet either. So okay, they have to have some nutrition. Okay, situation okay. going on. So yeah, I I think um, that course has was was a game changer. And any uh, th- those talks from Dr. Coyle, he seems to take bits and pieces and wind them around into different classes with different perspective and they're always good. But yeah. yeah. As far as a study that goes, I think the um, Robbins, 2008 protocol two hundred one part two, I think it is where they randomized people who I believe the study goes, they randomized patients who were aspirating on all liquid textures to thick and thin. And I want to say, I want to say it was thin nectar honey. It's been a while since I've looked at it, but this is the one that showed us that patients have less pneumonia at a one-year outcome measure on thins as compared to the thicker liquids. Yeah. And so it really gives you that freedom to put them on the thins because you actually know you're helping them instead of the old thinking was, well, then I may as well put them on honey thick, Right. Because thicker is better. And I think that's the study that sort of blew that theory. And it's really great uh, having that information in in your repertoire of things you'll talk to doctors about because they'll want to know, well, if they're aspirating on everything, why did you recommend then? It's like, well, there's this study of about 600 patients and this is what they found and they like hearing that stuff. Yeah. You're speaking their language. Yeah.
0: So do you actually have these discussions with doctors? Do you actually present them some swallowing research?
1: Yeah, I do sometimes. Depends on the doctor, but uh, you know, we, our department has a really nice relationship with our hospitalists and our pulmonologists and sometimes they don't really want to know the rationale, but if they question it, it's it's good to know what your rationale is. Yeah. You got to yeah. speak to it. Yeah.
0: I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a odd duck anyways, but i never really have had a problem telling a doctor a study, or you know, and I just think that's something in our field that we don't get training about. You mm-hmm. know, there there are colleagues; they're not, you know, I don't know. We have to respect them, but we also can tell them our point of view too, and have it backed up with research. And
1: right, and I, I love showing them a modified. And our yeah. system now will have it where I can pull open the patient's chart and show them at the nurses' station. Hey, I want you to see this. And sometimes there's these really tough studies um, that. You know it helps to be able to open up the video and say, "Here's my concern. See this, see that, here's option A, here's option B. I'd like to go with option A, but I really want I, I want to run it by you first. And you know most times they're like, "Well, that sounds great, and we'll watch the respiratory status, like, "Yes, thank you." yeah, but it's great to be able to really have a conversation with them and problem solve together, and I yeah. think that earns respect. Absolutely. Of, of how they see speech pathology too, that this isn't where we go in and give the patient something to eat. And if they cough, we say, Hmm, that's bad. And if they don't, we say, Ooh, that's good. I mean, you know, (laughs) we joke around that, you know, a trained monkey could do this, but this is not why I have an advanced degree to do trained monkey work.
0: Right, right. So well, we start- and I love what you said too about presenting option A and option B. You know, everyone wants dysphagia to be black and white. Right. And it's totally not. And and really nothing in medicine is black or white. Right. You know, so I don't, there's nothing wrong with talking to a doctor and like you said, presenting different options because they know as well as we do that there's a million factors that go into mm-hmm. all the decisions we make. So mm-hmm. I was talking to a, to a younger clinician yesterday and she's like, well, I, I need to know definitively what to do. And I was like, no, you don't. You can lay all the options on the table and let everybody collectively decide what's going to be best for the patient or what the patient wants.
1: Yep. And I think it's, it can be intimidating talking to doctors. And I'm in a fortunate spot where I see them every day and and some are bubbly and friendly and some are quiet and professional. And, um, you know, they all have their different personalities, just like we do. And some hang out at the nurse station and do their work and others disappear into a doctor world somewhere and, and do their charting somewhere else. So they're not very available, but it's, it's worth the time and energy it takes to gain some rapport with your, with your doctors or your ARNP, is following your patients. Yeah, absolutely. Makes it right. a lot easier later to pick up the phone and make the call and have a conversation to, and then it's not a big deal. Right. And it's, right. it's just what you do. Right. I love that okay okay all
0: right well thank you so much brenda this is wonderful you're welcome you ready i'm ready <laughs> all right so all yeah right. so in, in closing i hope this helps to shed a little bit of light on maybe what's going on in your scenario or why something is presenting the way it is or why you're not getting the good reports. so
1: there's two yeah. sides to every story right dueling yes there we go okay yeah, don't,
0: don't be the dueling slps get on the same team
1: all right sounds good thanks for having me Teresa. so if you would love to hear more of these episodes and
0: get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge then please leave a review on itunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming also don't forget to subscribe share with your closest colleagues and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes also credit to stephanie jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening Coming soon from Speech Science, talking with tech. With me, Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet, what are we going to be talking about? Stop feeling so daunted by technology. Push the button. You're not going to break it. Help people start implementing. Maybe listen to our podcast and go, well, I could try that tomorrow. Conversations with the thought leaders behind all this. I'd also love to hear success stories. If it's working for you, then maybe it could work for somebody else. Go to tech.speechscience.org, subscribe to our podcast, and check that site for exclusive content that you won't see anywhere else.
1: Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Ivan Campos, Lucas Stuber, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication?